0: To say that I'm thankful this morning would be an understatement. Um, we have a lot to be grateful for, even just thinking about the ability to gather together in a pavilion, and it feels absolutely amazing. Um, God and His kindness towards us. We take these things for granted, and really, all of these things are grace to us, and so we just rejoice in that this morning, that we get to gather together. Um and it's good to be back in the book of Mark. We took uh, a week where we were in Titus, and that was really sweet. And and I actually spoke to some of the things we're going to speak about today, but to to continue in the book of Mark to see Jesus for who he is, right, presented. And, and some of the things that he says are difficult. And we're actually going to read one of them today where you're like, man, why would Jesus say something like that? But to see that the way he interacts with people is consistent, the way that he continually engages them, knowing that he has this this fuller mission to be the sacrificial lamb that would go to the cross and be slain. And yet, on the way, he sees everyone that he comes into contact with. He sees them, he engages them, he meets their needs. And so we get to see today how he does that through a teaching. And the, the beautiful thing that I think of is... If I was going to title this message, it would be the mission. Like, what is the mission of God? What is the mission of his people? And so this morning, we get to look at that mission together. As some of you know, Randy and I were both in the Navy, and so we, uh, we were in the military. A lot of you have, have spent some time in the military or are in the military, but you understand kind of this idea of the mission being bigger than the people, The mission is this great thing that everybody engages in, and we saw that last week in Titus where where Paul says, Titus, my true son, right? He can say that because he has a connection to Titus that's stronger than the bond of blood, that's stronger than the bond of shared community. It's the blood of Jesus that unites the two of them. And so this morning, we look at what it means for us together to be on mission. On mission on a submarine, it looks like, a lot of mundane things happening over and over and over. (laughs) But every once in a while, you would run a drill, and you had to trust that the people that were also on that mission knew what their job was and would do that job. And the reason that you did it on drills was because there, there were also actual casualties that happened. And so in a submarine, there's not a specific group of people that respond to casualties and do damage control. Everybody has their own role to play. From the captain, who is the most senior guy and usually the oldest guy on the boat, to the newest guy that gets there, you have to trust that that guy is going to do his job. The lowest watchstander, he's going to do his job. And so this idea that all of us play a part in the mission of God, and what is the mission of God? What draws us to those things? What do we have to do that God has called us to? When you're talking about damage control, if somebody doesn't do their job, it becomes pretty bad. We had one time where they were emergency ventilating a compartment, and one guy forgot one valve, and everybody's head started to to hurt because the suction was coming off of our compartment so bad. And they they had to figure out, hey, what happened? What went wrong? And so everybody together is on this mission. Everybody's moving towards this common goal, and on a submarine, it's living underwater. Like, that's the goal. How do we live underwater? (laughs) But for us, the common goal that we get to share in is, is discipleship that produces life. So it's the same goal, like living, but for us to live life together and then to draw others into that life. That they would know the goodness of God, that they would rest in it, that they would see it and rejoice in it, and then that they too would go and be sowers of this seed. So let's pray and ask God to give us ears to hear, particularly today. We, we say that prayer a lot, but Jesus says that only those that have ears to hear are going to hear. So let's ask Him for that this morning. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we get to come before You desperately needy. It's the only thing we bring to the table, and yet You meet us there at that table. And You supply everything that we need. God, and You've done it through Your Word. And as we look this morning, is what does it mean to sow the Word? What does it mean to tell the good news? God, would You create in us a desire to be on mission with what you're doing, to come alongside of what you're doing in the world today for your glory, for your fame, and for our satisfaction, for our eternal enjoyment. Lord, would you do that in us today? I thank you that as we've already prayed, this is happening throughout the county, throughout the state, throughout the country, throughout the world, Lord, And even as we see the crowd that gathers around Jesus at the Sea of Galilee, Lord, we too are in that crowd this morning. God, the gift of your word, preserved for us to read. We just thank you. Change us today. Conform us to your image. Not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of those around us, for the benefit of your church, for the benefit of those that you're calling to yourself. Lord, would you change us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, we are in the parable of the sower. Now, it's interesting. There's a couple different ways that this this parable has been talked about. Some have said it's the parable of the four soils. Some have said it's the parable of the sower and the seed. I think that it's a really um, appropriate title to call it the parable of the sower. We can get lost in these other things when we don't look at it as who is this parable about? This is Jesus and he's gathering these people and there's, it's a huge crowd still and the crowd continues to grow. We've seen it throughout all of the gospel of Mark up to this point where he couldn't get in and out of houses and now he can't even walk on land. Like you can imagine if he's trying to navigate through this park, he can't navigate through the park because the crowd is so big. So he calls his disciples and says, hey, get a boat ready because I'm going to have to put out into the sea a little bit and I'm going to teach from there. That's crazy to me. But that crowd is continued today. I was just thinking about this as we were, as you know, it, I didn't write it down, but it came to me as like in this pavilion, we become part of that crowd because we have the gift of God's Holy Spirit and His Word to us today. And so we get to sit under the teaching of Jesus as He teaches these parables and hear them. And He's given us ears to hear that our lives would be changed. And so that's the setting this morning is the gathering crowd at the Sea of Galilee. And he puts out to sea just a little ways. But it creates like this amphitheater where he continues to teach to them. And, and this is how he begins. He says, listen. And it's an emphatic listen. That's why there's, there's an exclamation point there. There's a, there's a command to listen. And so as, as we gather, at the, as the crowd around the word He's telling us, listen. So whatever it is that's got your attention right now, and maybe you're just rehashing some of the things from the week, or maybe you're just tired this morning. I know I wake up tired. Maybe you're distracted by how beautiful a day it is. Let's listen. Let's heed Jesus' word and come and listen to what he's saying. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. That's what sowers do. They sow. And so I just want to spend some time this morning looking at what does it mean that the sower goes out and he sows before we even get into the soil cuz Jesus takes some time and he unpacks that for us what does it mean that the sower goes out to sow who is the sower in this story if it's the parable of the sower who is the sower you see and we've it's not given clearly when Jesus goes and he breaks down the parable. He does tell us what the seed is. The seed is the word of God, but he doesn't tell us who the sower is. But we have to gather from this that the sower is God himself. God has given his word to his people. He's given his word to his people and that word is producing fruit. The sower sows liberally. right? Jesus cast his seed, cast sowed his seed to everyone who would gather. He didn't Pulled people, he didn't segregate the people, he would just broadcast it. And the Pharisees, their hearts were already hardened, but they still heard the word. It was still sowed to them. The lame, the people that were just there to see all the cool things that were happening, the word was sowed to them. To the disciples, the word was sowed, and God had given them ears to hear, and so they heard. So the sower is God himself. Jesus, we've seen him. He goes and he goes into the synagogues. And what is he doing? He's sowing seed. He's preaching that the kingdom of God has come, that it's arrived, that it's at hand. And not everybody heard it because not everybody had ears to hear. But the disciples, like they heard it because they had been given ears to hear. And so they stopped what they were doing and they followed this guy wherever he went. It wasn't a convincing argument that caused them to follow It was they had been given ears to hear. And so they got up, they left what they were doing, and they followed Jesus. Jesus sows the seed of the good news of the kingdom of God. And He does it everywhere He goes. Mark 3.14, we saw it. Not only is He sowing, but He's inviting those around Him to sow with Him. He says, And He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles, so that they might be with Him, and he might send them out to preach. So now, the sower is not just Jesus. The sower is those that are with Jesus, those that are following in the ways of Jesus, those that he has called to go out and preach and sow. So who is the sower? The first sower is Jesus, and then we, being imitators of Christ, Christians, Christian means Christ-like, we become sowers. Sowing this good news, this word of God, the gospel, that the kingdom has arrived. The seed is the Word of God. I'm going to have some Scripture this morning, and I'm I'm going to just give you the references. I'm going to read the Scripture, but if you tried to follow along, we've got quite a few, so just write them down, and and we'll go go back to them later, and I'll also have them in the sermon notes for you. But Psalm 119.11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If this is the Word of God, then what are we supposed to do with this seed? We let it penetrate into our hearts so that it would produce fruit. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, this is the promise of God. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. First thing we have this morning is we have the sower and we have the seed. The sower has come in Jesus and he's called each of us to be sowers and we sow this good news. We cast this good news everywhere we go like the sower with the seed, casting it liberally and without discrimination to anyone who would hear. It's not our job to find out where the best soil is. We, we are called to be sowers of the word of God. But Jesus in his kindness explains that there are different types of soil. There's a reason that sometimes the soil would take, take root and grow fruit. And there's a reason that sometimes the soil would not. And so he explains it. He goes through the four types of soil. There's this hard packed soil. And if you can imagine, it's all in one area. It's not like different areas. It's all in one area. Maybe a path through a field. And so, where the path has been trod continuously, the soil is hard packed. And so, when the seed lands on that soil, different birds and different animals come and grab up that soil and, or grab up that seed and take it away. But right next to maybe where the where the hard pack is, could be this soil that is rocky. Verse sixteen and seventeen say, "These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy." And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. God super kind in his word. Jesus pulling his disciples aside, explaining the parable to them so that they would understand. And he says, hey, this, this rocky ground, there's going to be some who don't have deep roots, deep belief. And so when things are okay, they're okay. But when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. We probably know, we've probably experienced this with people that we've known. The third type of soil that he goes into is the the thorny soil. He says, and others are ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke it out and it proves unfruitful. All of this happening as, he's, as the sower is casting out the seed, being liberal because he doesn't know where the good soil is. Now that's more our case. Jesus knows where the good soil is. And yet he still is generous, giving of himself, giving of the seed of the word of God. But we cast the seed not knowing where the good soil is. We just continue to cast, praying that God would raise up the fruit. And finally, so he gives three examples of soil that doesn't produce fruit, and then he gives one of good fruit. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now, in his kindness, God has explain the the soils and yet the parable is not about the soils it's not about hey you need to go fix your soil none of us can do that the soil can't throw the rocks out of the soil they can't get rid of the thorns they can't get rid of the the birds that would attack the soil is just there so the the point of the parable is not hey you need to fix your soil so what is the point of the parable We need to figure this out because parables are going to be what God uses, what Jesus uses to teach some truth for the rest of the book of Mark, for at least the next four chapters, where he sits and he teaches and he talks about what does the kingdom of God look like, and he uses parables to do it. Parables most often have one point. Jesus spoke in parables, and, and here's the funny thing about this parable is it explains why he speaks in Parables. Jesus spoke in parables so that good soil would produce good fruit. He does it, and we see it in verses um, 10 through 12. Like, why is he talking in parable? When he was alone, verse 10, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. There's another kindness there. It's not just the 12. There are a group of disciples that are not called out to be apostles that are still pursuing Jesus, that are following him faithfully, and he speaks truth to them. Verse 11, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Stop there. We've been given ears to hear. We've also been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The truth that changes everything in our lives. This is the good news. And he spoke in parables so that those who have ears would hear. Verse 9, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Continuing in verse, sorry, verse 11, he said to them, to you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that... And this is out of Isaiah, they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Listen, this is one of those hard things that Jesus says that you're like, why wouldn't Jesus want everyone to be forgiven? And as we wrestle with this, as as that rises up in our hearts, ultimately we come back to the fact that do I trust the good giver? Do I think that everyone should be saved because we somehow did something right? How do I wrestle with this? How do I explain this to my heart and to my soul? And the reality is that my explanation is none of us deserve it. And if any of us get it, it's grace. And I trust in a good God that he knows what is good, that he knows what is right. That by His design, He has ordained all of this to happen. And it's all for His glory. And so I'll ask those questions, but in the end, I run to the fact that God is good and I am not. And I trust that to be true. As we wrestle with this idea, we must remember our place as creatures of the Creator. Our place is in submission to the authority of the Lord the Lord and King, and we trust His rule because we've seen His character displayed throughout creation and history. We can question. We can bring these questions to God. He wants us to bring questions like this to Him. But in the end, we look at His faithfulness. We remember His character. We remember how true He has been to Himself. And so we say, God, if You would give some ears to hear and others not, we trust You. And then we really rejoice in the fact that we would have ears. Like if we could hear, it's got to be a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be a gift of grace. In His perfect wisdom, this King has bestowed grace and mercy on His people. He's given His children ears to hear. This isn't the only thing that Jesus says that we, that we struggle with. I, I think of Matthew 10, 34-39 where He says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. We, we say, well, peace is a good thing like Jesus, you're the prince of peace. Of course you came to bring peace. He says, but i am not come to bring peace, but but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, We'll find it. Jesus came with some hard things. He challenges us. He challenges our way of thinking of what is right and true. And then he says, but trust me that I am right and true. You see, Jesus hasn't come to establish our kingdom, but to establish his kingdom. To you, verse 11, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. What is this kingdom of God? What is this good news? The good news is that there's any good soil. Like it should all be bad soil, but there are some good soils where there is fruit being produced. That's not a right we have to say, God, there's got to be good soil. No, it could all be bad soil, but He's created some good soil. And He's done that by the work of His Spirit, by the regenerating of a heart, that that heart would be susceptible to hearing the good news and and changing, being changed by it. Jesus has come and purchased for himself a people by his blood. He has purchased good soil by his blood. Those that are covered by that blood have the regenerating work of the Spirit in them cultivating good soil. Our hearts are prone to wander. We've sung it. And it's true, we just look at history, we look at our lives and they are prone to wander. But if there's anything in us that would be good soil, that would be a heart that's moldable and susceptible, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit that's regenerating our heart and taking our heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh. It's cultivating this repentance and belief, repentance for trying to do it ourselves Belief that the Savior, Jesus Christ, God himself, has broken up our fallow ground, our hard ground. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Ezekiel 11.19-21, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. You see, the Word of God, Scripture that has always called us to imitate God in His character and righteousness. This is, this is God's Word. It's a call to, to be with Him, to know Him, and then to walk in his righteousness, but we can't do it. We have failed to do it. Because of sin, we've failed to follow his ways. So God condescended to us by becoming man, and Jesus walked in righteousness on our behalf. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the seed that we long to sow in our own hearts And into the hearts of those around us and into the hearts of our community that we don't have a righteousness that's our own, but we have a righteousness that Christ has given to us. And if we are in Christ, our sin is paid for in his death and we have righteousness through his life. This is the grace of God in the person of Jesus This is what Jesus is telling his disciples as he comes. No, the good news is that you needed a Savior, you needed a Messiah, you needed an anointed one, you needed a Christ, and I am him. And I've come. And he teaches it in the synagogues, and then he gathers in his disciples and he says, hey, now you go and you sow the word. You sow it so that others would see and believe and know that they would hear this good news. We have to preach this good news to our own hearts. We talk about this a lot, preaching the gospel to ourselves, preaching it to our own hearts. The reality is that I will forget, and I need to remember, and I need to tell myself, who am I in Christ? What is my identity? Who does he say that I am, not who do I say that I am? Yeah, thank you. So true. We've got to preach it to our own hearts. And then we believe it, and now I can share it with you. Right? And then there's going to be other times where I don't believe it, and I still have to share it with you. We still have to sow this seed. And then we see it produce fruit. We see it produce the fruit of faith, the fruit of belief. You see, we, like the disciples, have been called to be faithful sowers. We've been called to spread the seed liberally, In all of life. In the morning, I sow the Word of God first to my own heart. And then I go and I sow it to my household. And then I sow it to my neighbors. And then we go to school and we sow it there. And we go to work and we sow it there. And it comes out of this true belief that we have that God's Word is true. That He's faithful. Our kids go and they sow it into the schools. That's amazing. That's amazing that our... That that kids have the same gift to be able and go and share truth with those around them, and that other kids at a very young age can hear that truth. We don't know where the seed will be fruitful, but we're called not to be fruitful. We're called to be faithful, and God will produce fruit. As we walk in faithfulness, sowing the Word into all of life, we rejoice when we see fruit. See, if we think that somehow we could fix our soil to become fruitful, then now we've played a part in it. But when we look and we, we see God producing fruit in what shouldn't be good soil and it's there, man, we rejoice. like We're like, God, I should not have any of the fruit of Your Spirit. I should be angry. I should be resentful. I should be frustrated all the time. And yet there are times where, God, You've shown sown love into my heart. You've sown peace and you've sown joy and you've sown faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all the fruit of the Spirit. That's not fruit of Joel. That's fruit of Jesus Christ. That's a fruit that points to a beautiful tree. (laughs) Right? And we get to do that together. We celebrate grace that transforms and grows the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer. We can think that just getting older makes us better. We learn from experience. We learn from... Somehow we gain wisdom or we just learn from our mistakes. But the reality is that that getting older doesn't make us better. This doesn't happen by chance. This is the work of God by his spirit through his word being sown into our hearts that we would be a people that are generous and kind and gracious and loving to one another because Jesus has been generous and kind and gracious and loving to us. Galatians 5, through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And what is the fruit that's seen? The fruit of the Spirit. There is 30, 60, or 100-fold fruit. It is the work of of the Word through the power of the Spirit in our lives. Listen, we can compare fruit and we can say, hey, but this person's got 60, 30, 100 fold. It doesn't matter. If there's any fruit, it's grace. And so we rejoice in that. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Amen? God is growing his fruit in our lives. And we get to rejoice in that. So we rejoice when we see the fruit of God in each other's lives. So the call today is live on mission. so faithfully. And look for fruit. And then when you see fruit, rejoice. Like, like if our marriage is in a bad place and somehow it's still there, like that's fruit. Rejoice. If our children walk in any of these beautiful things that we've talked about, rejoice because that's the fruit of God's Spirit. If I can reconcile to a neighbor, rejoice. Rejoice when we see the fruit and sow liberally. Sow the seed of the Word of God in our own hearts. God, would you do that? And we thank you that you've called us to participate, but Lord, first and foremost, we thank you that you've done it God, that you went to the cross on our behalf, that, that any fruit that's in us is your righteousness, that you walk perfectly on earth. And even as we look at the book of Mark, we see how you treated people and your kindness and your selflessness and your patience. God, and we want to walk in those ways. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is doing that. Thank you that your word is taking root in our heart. Lord, we do pray that You would continue to produce good soil, Lord. That we would see the good soil around us where God's Word is taking fruit and we would rejoice. God, And may we just be indiscriminate with our sowing. I pray that we wouldn't look to fruitfulness as a sign of faithfulness knowing that only You can produce fruit. but we would continue to walk faithfully as children dearly loved by God and invited to participate on His mission with Him. We thank You for these things, Lord. We just rejoice in the knowledge of You, in the hope of You, in the goodness of You. Amen.